Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. We're going to carry on today with our journey through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be looking at a passage that I freely admit I've ignored for a lot of my Christian life. And I know I'm not alone. It's one of those passages that I read and went, hmm, interesting, and then glossed over it and moved on. And a few years ago, I ended up going back to it and thought, actually, there's a lot more to this than I realized. And it's interesting when you start reading commentaries as well. I wasn't alone in that. There are quite a few commentators who've chosen to just bypass these verses. But we're going to be looking at Luke 5 and verse 33. So if you'd like to turn there in what whatever medium you are using. So we're looking at Luke 5 and verse 33. Now in my Bible, it's helpfully got a a heading. It says, Jesus questioned about fasting. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered them, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and in those days they will fast. He then told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the wineskins, and they'll be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says, the old is better. Uh, Again, there's knowing looks on quite a few people's faces when I read through that. Some people go, oh yeah, and others going, hmm, what was that about? And like I said, it has in the past been glossed over many times, but it's a simple passage. Because basically, it's just dealing with a question. And all Jesus was doing in his reply was he was simply contrasting the old Mosaic law and how things were done with how things were being done now, how he was doing things. It was as simple as that. He was just contrasting the two. But people were noticing that he and his disciples were behaving differently. They weren't following the rules. They weren't going along with all the old rituals. There was something different about them. And naturally, they were questioning that. Why were they doing that? Or why were they not doing something? And to understand that, we probably need to know a little bit about the background of fasting. Now, we do occasionally have prayer times when we pray and fast. But today, we tend to do them as God probably originally intended, which was if there's a special occasion or a particular need or something's pressing, then you pray and fast. It's more of an ad hoc arrangement. There are no rules that saying you must do this or you must do that. It's for us to, as we see fit, go through it and do that. But that wasn't the way. What had happened here was that what had started off many, many generations before as a good practice had now become taken over by the Pharisees and made a ritual, made into a religious practice. It was so ritualistic that there were fasting days. It was Monday and Thursday in their calendar. 
And so on Monday and Thursday, you had to fast because the rules said you did. And what's more, the Pharisees made it obvious. They dressed in special fasting clothes. They would actually make it obvious as they went about. They were fasting because of the way they were looking. And they would actually do things through their appearance to make it look as though they were fasting. And they would, in a way, go around looking at other people to check that they were fasting as well, which was obviously how they noticed that Jesus and his disciples weren't doing it. So people were saying, why are you breaking the rules? Why aren't you doing what everybody else does? And then Jesus gives them some examples. And he starts off by talking about a wedding. Now, again, this sort of gets lost on us because the concept of a wedding today is that we have a great occasion on a day. We have a ceremony, we have a party, we have a, a bit of a bash, we have a great time, and then it's over. And then the couple, if they can afford it, they go off on a honeymoon, they spend some time together, and then they, after that, come back and they resume their married life. But that wasn't the way. In their culture, it was very different. When a couple got married, they were given exemption. They were freed from the rules. And so they were allowed a week of joy and celebration. They were allowed to actually, in their own home, have all their friends in and have a party to just celebrate and have fun, enjoy themselves. Only for that one week, and then it was back to the rules and the behavior again. So when Jesus was talking about being the bridegroom in a wedding, he was saying, that's what's going on. We're celebrating. This is the time we're in. There will be a time when I won't be here, when I will have moved on. And then people will fast because it will be a different time, but not now. I'm not sure people got the analogy, but that's what he was trying to say to them trying to use things they would understand. And again, he was using examples of contrasting new and old. So he talked about repairing clothing, something they were very familiar with. They made their own clothes, they would have repaired their clothes. And he was saying, you can't take new material and patch it onto the old. It doesn't work, it tears, it doesn't fit together. He was saying, you can't patch up the old Mosaic law, the rituals and rules of the Pharisees, and the way the culture has become, you can't patch that up with me, with my new covenant. You can't patch me onto that, which is probably how things were looking at this time. Remember, this is the early days, and the Pharisees were probably looking at him thinking, who is this guy? What's he up to? Something's happening. Maybe we can use him. Maybe he can fit in. And he was saying, no, you can't patch me onto the way things have done before. And then he goes on to talk about wineskins. And again, this is an example with which they were familiar. Sounds a bit gruesome to us today, but in essence, all they did was they took a goat, killed the goat, stripped the skin off it, used the contents, ate them, used them for whatever they wanted, and then they're left with a hide, a skin, a goat-shaped animal. And they would sew it back up. Obviously, they'd treat it first, but they would sew it back up, use the legs as carrying handles, and take the neck and use it with a stopper. And now you've got a thing for carrying something. So they would put wine into it, because they realized if you got new wine, which was still fermenting, still had life in it, was still bubbling, you could put that into an animal skin, and it would expand, and it would give off its fumes, its whatever, they, whatever comes off wine when it's fermenting. But anyway, it could still do that, and the skin would stretch, and it would be fine. 
But once that wine had matured, the skin would go hard. And once you'd finished that wine, you can't use that goat skin. Because if you put fermenting new wine into the old goat skin, the goat skin just rips apart. It's gone dry. It's gone hard. And again, he was contrasting. He said, you can't put new fermenting life into an old skin. It will not take it. It will just be ripped. It can't work. Now, these were all really challenging statements. And then he goes off right at the end to say, and the people who like the old won't even try the new. Now, think about that as a culture. Think about that as people. How often do we see that? Um, I can think about it in my own life as I get older. Am I resistant to change? Do I still take on new things? Am I still open to the new? And I have to admit, if it comes to technology, I'm not. I'm not a Luddite, but I'm not the new adopter of anything brand new. I'm the number two adopter. I always let someone else do it first. They can find out what's right or wrong, and then I'll have a go at it. So I'm not anti-something, but I'm just a step behind. But if you think about it, it's one of the factors of many people as they grow older, isn't it? They stop taking on new things, stop being open to the new, stuck in the old. And Jesus was saying it's a human trait. We like the old so much it's familiar that we might not even try the new. He understood the human condition. And all the way through this passage, these verses, he's contrasting new and old. The old being the Pharisees and their Mosaic law, and the new being himself, and the new covenant, and what he was bringing. Now, I will admit, looking at this, I do have some sympathy for the Pharisees. Not a phrase I would use very often, but I do. Because if I put myself back in those days, where they were, what was happening, I can sort of see where they were coming from. Yes, they were stuck in their ways. Yes, they had rituals and rigmaroles and a way of things being done. And this guy comes along called Jesus, and he stirs it up. He's breaking the rules. He's unconventional. He's doing things differently. He's defying authority. He's not doing what everyone else should do or what they think he should do. And to cap it all, he's getting results. It works. Something's happening. He's, he's not just some nutter having a go at doing things differently and nothing's happening. Something is happening. And that is confusing. It doesn't fit their mindset. It doesn't fit the way things should be, how they saw the world. Now, we can look at this story and we have a great benefit because we've got hindsight. You see, we're at an advantage. We're sitting here 2,000, or standing here 2,000 years later, looking back at this story, and we can say, oh, stupid Pharisees, what's wrong with them? You know, because we know what happens. We know what happened afterwards. We know where it went. We know, we know where we are today. And so we know that the new is better. We know that the new is best and the old was wrong because we're looking back and we can see it. We can see the whole picture. I like history. One of my main interests and relaxations is, is reading history. Um, but you have to be very careful when reading history because there are, there are two things that you can fall into that can distort the picture that you're looking at. One is hindsight, because you know what happens afterwards, 
So you're looking at an event in the past and you're looking back at it with knowing what's going to happen afterwards, which can distort your viewpoint. And the second one is we impose our own values. So we lose the values and standards we have today and we put them back into some point in the past and think, why did they do that? Why, why did they do that? And I was talking with someone about this recently. My grandparents were Victorians. They were born that long ago. Their mindset, their attitudes, their approach, their view of everything was so different to mine. And that's only in two generations how things have changed. So again, we need to be careful. And that applies to us looking back, looking back into the Bible. Sometimes we can be overly judgmental and harsh. But how would we have been if we had been there without the advantage of hindsight, without the ability to know what's actually happened? Someone asked me many years ago, we were in a, uh, we were in a bar having a chat. He said, if you could have any job you wanted, best job in the world, what would it be? And I said, oh, I know straight away. And he said, what's that? I said, I want to be director of hindsight. And he just looked at me and what? I said, I'll never make a mistake. And it's a joke, but it's true, isn't it? Because with hindsight, that's how you view things. You look back at things that way. It's all very interesting. You think, great, okay, that's what the verses mean. That's good. But there's a challenge in these verses today, right now, for us. I was saying, you know, we look back and we say, oh, I wouldn't have behaved like that. Well, wouldn't we? I don't know. We have to examine ourselves. What's our reaction to this? At the moment, we probably think, well, I wouldn't have done that. Maybe we wouldn't. But are we stuck in our ways? Have we got a tendency to prefer the old and not the new? To not take the new on board? To not even be open-minded to consider it? You see, my experience of God in 30 years is that he never does things my way. He never does things the way I think he should. And he very rarely seems to do the same thing twice. God surprises us all the time by the way he does things. He will never conform. He doesn't have rules. He doesn't follow a process. God is God. He is sovereign. He does things his own way. And are we open to that? Are we open to God doing something completely different that we hadn't thought of? I can think of a few illustrations. This, this, these two are personal to me, but one I remember very well. I was leading a um, Sunday meeting at the Vine in Odium, and I turned up in the morning, and I'd, I'd, praying beforehand, God had said to me, I want to do something different today. That was it. I just had this in my mind. God had said to me, I want to do something different today. And I walked in, and I looked around the room, and I just felt this, God said to me, move the chairs. What? Move the chairs. Now, the stewards were diligent and great. They'd set everything out. And I went, and we're tight for time. And I sort of thought, okay. So I walked up to the guy who was the, the chief steward. He said, um, sorry about this. I know it's very tight for time. I want all the chairs moved. I want it all changed. And he went, no. And I went, hang on. And he said, no. And I said, you know, but I, and he was, no. And I, and I was very angry, but I might have part my anger and think, well, am I angry because he's being disobedient to me? Why am I angry? And I then said to him, why won't you move the chairs? And then he said, because we've always done it this way. This is how we put them out. 
And I thought, I can't answer that. I haven't got time. So I moved the chairs. And I made a mess of it. But I moved the chairs. And then a couple of the other guys helped me. They weren't sure what the heck I was doing. I think they thought I'd lost the plot. But I moved the chairs. And we had the layout of the room completely different. And then the meeting started. And it went. And then God broke in. And things happened. And it was all different. The Holy Spirit came. And it was different. Nothing went as we'd planned it and thought it was going to go. But it was a great meeting because God was there and things were happening. God broke in. A few weeks later, I was on the rotor to lead again. So I walked in, same chief steward. I thought, oh, here we go. And I thought, how do I approach this? And bless him, he walked up to me and said, how do you want the chairs? He changed. He just, I never said anything to him, you're wrong, you're stuck in your ways. I didn't need to. He saw what happened and he changed. And it was like, okay, let's be open to doing it differently then. Let's make it different. That's only a little example, but it shows what can happen to us. We can get stuck in the ritual of we've always done it that way. This is how we do it. I remember another occasion where we had, um, things always tend to go off when the, when the elders, uh, only an elder's there and the pastor's gone, and he wasn't around, and we had a visiting preacher come. And I met him and said, hi, nice to meet you. Um, and he said, do you want to know what I'm going to talk about? And I went, no, not really. And he said, but, you know, uh, how are we going to do today? And I just said, well, we're going to have some worship, and there'll be a few notices, and then it's over to you. And he was like, was that it? And I went, yeah, that, that, that's it. You know, we've, we've prepared a few songs, and hopefully we'll get through them. You know, might go differently. Someone else might start a song. and We might go off on a slight tangent, or someone will say something, or there'll be a word, or... You know, the spirit will break out. I don't know. But I'll, I said, leave that to me. I'll handle that. You, you just say what you want to say. And he freaked. He absolutely freaked. It was like, what do you mean? You don't know what's going to happen. I went, no, of course I don't know what's going to happen. And he said, but you don't know what people are going to say. No, I don't know what people are going to say. And then he was like, but in my church, we practice it. We rehearse it. And people come to the elders in the week before. And we work out who's going to say what and when and what songs we're going to have. And then we bring the word. And I said to him, not here, mate. <laughs> That's not how we do it. Andy is laughing his head off at this point because he remembers this. But that's not how we do it. We're open to God. This is God's meeting. So, yes, we've prepared some worship. We've prepared this. I said, I'm prepared to throw it all away if God breaks in. And the poor chap struggled. He sat in the worship and he struggled. Um, I've rarely seen a man so nervous. And then he started to change because he listened to the words that were being brought and he listened to the songs. And I could see something was going on in him. And then he got up to speak and his message was great. He was so good. He was on it. He was brilliant. And afterwards, I, I said to him, that was really good. That was excellent. He was bouncing off the walls. He was so excited. He said, every word that was brought was in line with what I wanted to say. Every song fitted in. He said, what people gave it was just wonderful and i said to him well yeah that, that we trust god it's god's meeting you know we don't over control it and and he i could see he was troubled by this you know it was a challenge to him because he came from an environment where it was controlled and planned and organized and there was no freedom there was no scope and i did meet him and talk with him a, a few months later and he did say to me he said 
I've moved a little bit. He said, I'm having trouble with my other elders, but he said, I've moved a little bit. You know, I'm a bit more closer to where you are now. And I said, I'm not saying we're right or wrong. We're different, but we're open to God working. Whereas where he was coming from, they were shut down. They just were going through the motions. We need to be cautious of this. We can be stuck in our ways. Even with a movement like us where we try so hard to balance the word of God with the charismatic and stay on a path that keeps the two in balance, be open to all this, we need to guard our hearts. We can so easily just fall into the trap of God did it this way last time. If you study history, one of the things you notice time and time and time again is politicians and military people make the same mistake. They always fight the last war. They always fight what happened last time. And yet it's different. And God is different. You cannot put God in a box, however hard you try. And just because God did it this way last time does not mean he's going to do it that way next time. We don't know what he's going to do. It was interesting, you know, we've just finished the Alpha, which was excellent. New, the new films and the way it's been done online was really good. And I was very impressed by Nicky Gumbel confessing that he didn't want to do online Alpha. He didn't think it was right. He didn't think it would work. He wanted to get people physically in front of him and do it face to face and then have on face to face discussion. And yet he then said, I was wrong. Online Alpha is amazing. It's wonderful. It's incredible. Look what it's done, the reach it's given us. You know? And he was saying, we've got to change. We've got to actually adapt things and do things differently. We need to be ready for that. We need to be up for it. You see, if we don't, we just go down a process that the church, unfortunately, has done time and time again over history. We close our minds. We close our hearts. And eventually, we just close our spirits. It doesn't happen overnight. If you look into church history, it seems to take three or four generations to go from being spirit-filled, amazing things happening, to drift down the road of ritual, religion, legalism. And then we have to start again. Or we don't start again. God starts again. God brings revival. God breaks in. God breaks in to put his church back on track. And we tend to think revival comes because people have forgotten God. Society has moved away. Society decides God doesn't exist. They find alternatives to God. We tend to think that's what happened. Yes, it does. But the church goes down its own route. The church puts God in a box. It puts in the rituals. It puts in the religious doctrine. And it starts to push God out by not allowing God to move, saying God doesn't do that. How do we know what God does? How do we know how God will do something? If you follow that route, ultimately, you won't recognize God. You'll just be stuck like the Pharisees, going through your process, going through your religion. I remember, again, in the vine, about 25 years ago, there'll be some people here remember it, the period of the Toronto blessing, the great outbreak of the Holy Spirit in many, many, many churches around the world. And it happened to us. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was wacky. It was weird. There were some strange things going on. But God was moving and God was doing things. And we'd hold a meeting and the Spirit would break out 
and some people would dissolve into tears, other people would laugh hysterically, people were touched in many different ways. There was a move of the Spirit. That's the most general phrase I can come up with. The Spirit moved. But there were people saying they were uncomfortable with it. Okay, I understand that. It was, it was quite uncomfortable. And I remember talking to one couple, lovely people, but who sadly left the church because I remember the chap saying to me, I can't handle this. God doesn't do that. The woman says, what do you mean God doesn't do that? It's not biblical. Uh, hang on a minute. <laughs> so we had this discussion, and he couldn't get his head around the fact that what God had done thousands of years ago, he could just as easily do today, that his spirit could break out, that it could touch people, that it would work. He just couldn't accept it. And sadly, they went somewhere else where there was no spirit in, at work. Like I said, we can become closed down. We can become narrow. It's a danger of a trap we could fall into. So I'd urge us all, don't just stand back and go, yeah, silly Pharisees, I wouldn't have done that. Just question ourselves all the time. Would I do that? Am I open to the new? Am I prepared to say to God, do it your way? It gives us a lot of things to think about. I'll just pray and then I'll hand over to the guys. I think they want to finish with a song. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that I cannot put you in a box. I thank you that you will do things your way always. And I just pray for myself and for all of us. Would you keep us open-minded? Would you keep us open to you? I ask you to work powerfully amongst us to be with us and help us never to say God doesn't do that, to say that we don't do that here. I just pray, Lord, keep us open. Keep us open to you. And I ask you to move in power amongst us, to be with us with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.